You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. As I get started today, I just want to ask you a question. How much effort would you put into searching for something? How much effort would you put into searching for something? And and I'm sure for you, it, it depends how valuable that thing is, right? Like, if that thing has high value to you, you're you're really going to put some effort into searching for it. So some examples, okay? Jessica would, my my wife who was just up here, the short one, a minute ago, not that I can talk, uh, but Jessica would tear the sofa apart if I told her the last Ferrero Rocher was down there somewhere. Literally carnage, like sofa fluff everywhere. Andrew, I've discovered, Andrew who was up here, he's got a very impressive talent for finding excellent places to eat when he's abroad like he's an actual genius at it I'm really really chuffed that I took him with me when I went to Poland recently because every night he managed to find us a stellar amazing place to eat it's valuable to him it's so valuable he's had to go on the keto diet when he got back (laughs) to try and work back all the cakes that he's been eating Uh, yeah I haven't done that We, we search for what we value don't we I mean how many of you have lost your keys And it always seems to be just when you need them, like you're rushing out of the house, you can't find your keys, you've got to turn the house upside down. Or or how about your your phone, or your wallet, or your dog, if your dog gets lost? You know, we search for what we value. What about those things we really, really, really value? Like friendship, security, meaning, purpose. What about value itself? Do we value having value? Do we spend time searching? Is your value valuable? Have you ever been lost? Who came looking for you? Uh, You know, if I'm lost, who's going to come and search for me? Don't answer that. (laughs) Like, hopefully Jess will come looking for me if I get lost. But, But we search for what we value, but our value is defined by who is searching and how hard they are searching. The value of something that you've lost is defined by your searching for it and how hard you want to go after that. Now today, unashamedly, is about children. Uh, This isn't just some routine ceremony this morning. It's not an insurance policy. It's not kind of a fingers crossed for the future kind of thing with these kids. Kids are important to us in this church because they are important to God. Kids are valuable. People are valuable. Now, many churches I've been to, maybe you've been to as well, they love kids. As long as they're well behaved and sort of buttoned up. As long as they're the silent type of kids. You know, kids maybe can be seen as a bit of an annoyance or a distraction. And maybe there's some parents internally going, yes, right now. But things I heard in church as a kid things like speak only when spoken to children should be seen and not heard I genuinely heard that in a church when I was growing up children should be seen and not heard be quiet, be invisible that was the message that I received from a church when I was growing up and that's not true in this church like if your kids are making noise now don't worry about it I've got a microphone, it's okay We we can handle that. It's not true in this church because it's not true in the kingdom of God. 
Kids are valuable. And I want to know how many grown-ups have walked away from church because of misconceptions that were learned when they were kids. And maybe for some of you, that's true for you. Maybe, maybe some of you have an impression of church that is false, but it goes back to something that you learned incorrectly when you were a kid. Throughout history, people have tried to restrict others' access to God. And God values people. People around Jesus often complained or tried to restrict access. The scripture that Jess read earlier, let the children come to me, said Jesus. The reason he said that was because his disciples were trying to restrict access. They were like, don't, don't bother the master. You're making noise. Don't be a nuisance. We want to hear. Like, shh, be quiet until he's finished his, his message. And Jesus said, let them come. Let them be present with me. And that's so important. Elsewhere, we see that the disciples tried to restrict other people, like the sick or the infirm. And across scripture, we see repeated reminders for God's people to look out for the orphan and the widow and the foreigner, people who were seen as slightly less valuable in the society, and yet there's repeated warnings from God, look after, look after, look after these people. And then we get to the Pharisees. And as we're about to see, the Pharisees disliked the tax collectors and the sinners in their language. Now, maybe none of us like tax collectors because it's like money out of our pocket, and I'm sorry if anyone's a tax man in here, by the way. That could be super awkward. But, but that's what the Pharisees considered them, second-rate citizens, probably even third-rate citizens. They didn't really count. And they were complaining because Jesus was talking and he had gathered some tax collectors and sinners around himself and the Pharisees started whinging about it. Why has he got these people listening to him? Why is he eating with these people? Why is he entertaining these people? Culturally, all these people were less valuable, seen as less valuable. They were marginalized. They had less or little or no value, but here's the thing, and I want you to hear this loud and clear. God is not like that. God isn't like that. God doesn't have categories of people that, that, that he values higher than others. There is no marginalization in the kingdom of God. That's why this family should work, because it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter what your color is. It doesn't matter what your theological position is. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus, then you are part of this family. You are not marginalized. And everybody outside of that family is not marginalized either because they can be part of that family. The doorway is open to everybody and Jesus says, let them come to me. Wherever you are, whoever you are this morning, God's message is come to me, come to me. God values the marginalized, the downtrodden. Look at how Jesus always surprised people, let the children come, heaven belongs to them. Let the sick and the infirm and the oppressed come, even the tax collectors, even those who are sinful. Like, let them come. It's for this very reason, this reason that I am here. He came to seek and save the lost. Jesus is always searching for the lost and the marginalized 
And that's the context that we're going to find. I'm going to just give you three stories that Jesus gives, back-to-back stories. Uh, One about a sheep, one about a coin, and one about a wayward son. And it's in Luke 15. Uh, If you want to go there, if you've got a Bible with you, then feel free to go to Luke 15. It's not going to come up on the screen today. You just get to look at that sheep, okay? But but feel free to just sit and listen. And I'm going to skip a little bit through it, but the context is Jesus is teaching, and there are tax collectors and sinners, as they're called in the Bible, sat listening to to him, hanging off every word actually, and then there's the Pharisees, and they're sitting there going, he shouldn't be saying all this to them, he shouldn't have these people around, He's, uh, they're complaining. And so it starts like this, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Now, just pause there a second, because if I was a shepherd and I've got 100 sheep in my field and one of them gets lost, I, I, honestly, I think I'd be like, you're on your own, mate. I've got 99 here. That's fine. I've got, I've got more than enough for my next Sunday roast or whatever it's going to be. Uh, sorry, vegetarians. Um, but basically, like one sheep out of 100, what is one sheep out of 100? Like, surely that doesn't matter too much. But this shepherd that Jesus is talking about leaves the 99 behind and goes to find them. He's searching for, forgive the pun, you. (laughs) I know, it's terrible. I'm I'm actually quite ashamed (laughs) that I even put that up there. And and here's the thing, right? Sheep wander off. They they often want to go find something better. It's not... Uh, arrogance, it's more ignorance than arrogance. Sheep are the kind of things that the grass is greener on the other side of the meadow, and they're like, ooh, that looks good. Like, I want to tell you something, sheep are not stupid, and I've heard so many, so many, so many people in messages and preachers and things like that say, sheep are stupid, and like, that's not actually true, because to say sheep are stupid is to say that Christians are stupid, (laughs) and that's not true. You're not stupid. Sheep are not stupid, but sometimes they get distracted. Sometimes they see something that they think might be a bit better, and so they wander off because they're trying to find a better thing for themselves, and they don't think that where they are, under the care of the shepherd, is enough for them. And so they go and try and resource it for themselves. And maybe, maybe some of us, sometimes, we, 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 we know that God is there, or maybe we've started out in that field with those other sheep, but then we've decided to go and resource things for ourselves. We've decided, actually, this Christian thing is a bit meh. I'm not really sure about it. I'm sure I can have a better life if I go somewhere else. And that's what sheep do. But he goes on and and he says, when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls all his friends and neighbours together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. Get the mint sauce. No, that bit isn't true, that last bit. Jesus carries us back. He is willing to put us on his shoulders. You might be halfway down a cliff. You might be covered in mud and muck. You might be tangled in a vicious bramble. You might be maimed. You might be cold. You might be afraid. But the message of this parable is he's coming for you. He's coming for you. And in a good way, he wants to put you on his shoulders and bring you home. And he goes on the next story, a coin. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, 
She calls her friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. I don't think I've ever been that celebratory for a lost coin, like, yes, I found that quid that I lost behind the fridge a week ago. I'm not gonna be calling people up for that, but for this woman, it was valuable. That coin had enough value to her that she was gonna go and find it. I might not put value on that coin, she did. The other thing is the coin is an inanimate object. It doesn't get lost by itself. This this coin has done nothing to get lost. And so what I want you to understand is that these stories are more about the one doing the searching than about the thing being searched for. That's what Jesus is trying to get across here. Three different stories that are meant to be heard together. Completely different objects. But the common denominator between them is the seeker and what their actions say about the value of the thing that is lost. The shepherd left 99 sheep, perfectly healthy sheep, to go find one that had got lost. The woman takes the house apart and searches high and low for one coin that I would probably put no value upon. Both are so overjoyed that they call their friends for a celebration. Because of a sheep, because of a coin, What if the lost object was a person? And so we get to the third story, and Jesus continues, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Give me my inheritance, is what he's saying. So the father divided up his property between the two sons, and not long after that, the younger son got together everything he had and set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. This time, the person is lost by self-desire. I want something better. It's it's dressed in language, perhaps, of I want to discover myself. Or or maybe I want to explore my identity beyond this family. I, I want to make a name for myself. He tried to define his own value. That's what the son's doing. Father, give me what I'm worth is effectively what he's saying. He's trying to figure out his own value. And the first thing is this is a real insult to the father. Effectively, he's wishing his father dead. He's saying that thing that I should wait for until you kind of shuffle off, like that that inheritance that I should wait for until that point, I want it now. And I want to take it and I want to go. He wanted more than the life his father offered him. And so he went on search for it himself. And he put, notice this, great distance between himself and his father. He didn't just go to the next town, the next city, the neighboring country. He went to a distant country. And this is scandalous. The Pharisees that were hearing Jesus say this would have been up in arms about this. If he said, what should I do with this son? They would have said, cut him off. He's not your son anymore. He's gone. He is dead to you. That's what the Pharisees would have said. But the real scandal is about to hit them right between the eyes. Because the father gives him what he asks for. That's grace. That's free will. That's God saying to you, you choose. You have this choice. That's why this 
thing today isn't a, like a hope and a prayer and a cross your fingers and let's pretend they're like safe or whatever. This is us saying these boys need to make a choice. They're not going to be forced to become Christians. Now, yes, we're going to teach them. That's not brainwashing, but yes, we're going to teach them the gospel because the gospel we believe is the power of God for salvation, for saving us. So, so we're not trying to force it on them, but we will proudly and gladly tell them about what Jesus has done for them in the expectation that they make their own decision. Because that's what God allows each of us to do, to make our own choice. He, he let the son take what the son thought he needed, but it wasn't long before the son realised this isn't going very well. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who set him into the fields to feed the pigs. He's the guy that had sonship. He had everything that he could possibly want in his father's house. He's tried to set out and define things for himself. And what he's found is that when the storms come and he's lost everything that he had, he's on his own and he's in trouble. And he does what most of us will do he tries to figure it out for himself. The first thing he does is he tries to sort out his own mess. Uh, and maybe sometimes we, we come and we think, if I can be good enough, if I can just get value in my life this way, if, if I can get far enough in my career ladder, if I can help enough people, if I can give enough to charity, if I can convince myself that I'm a good enough person, then that's okay. We try to figure it out for ourselves. And it says he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. The end of our trying to figure it out for ourselves is the realization that we can't. He hit rock, rock bottom. He was now more outcast than he could have ever imagined that he could be, and he put himself there. He had value, he had belonging, he had family, and he chose to move another way and reject it. He thought that he was making himself, but he was actually destroying himself. And then it says, when he came to his senses, he said, my father's hired servants have food to spare, and I'm starving to death. So I will go back to my father and I'm going to say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father. You know, I'm going to explain this word in just a second, but true repentance, and I know it's a heavy loaded word, so try and stick with me on this, but true repentance recognises how far off we are. It recognises how far we've travelled from where we should be, or how far we fall short from what we should be. And here's the thing, he's heading for home, and Jesus continues, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. Now, the Pharisees will literally be losing their junk right now. 
because not only has this son offended and insulted, not just the father, but society, what they hold as good and normal and right, and he's just squandered and, and failed the whole lot of it, basically spat in the face of everything, his whole family and his whole upbringing, and yet he's coming back, and the father, in the Pharisee's eyes, should have been like, well, you need to do this and this and this and this, and you need to sort yourself out before you can come back home. And his father spots him a long way off. That's attention. And then he runs towards him, and that's action. And then he throws his arms around him and kisses him, and that's affection. When we turn for home, what we find from God the Father is his attention. He's already looking. He's already waiting. He's, he's craning his neck and he's straining his eyes into the horizon to see us return. Like, not because he wants to, to chastise you, not because he wants to punish you and make you feel miserable, but because he wants to run towards you with that action of grace. And he wants to throw his arms around you in that affection of a father. God is searching for you. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. This is... If you remember from a minute back, this is a pre-prepared speech. You ever done that? You've got to go make amends with somebody and you run it through in your head first, don't you? Like if I've annoyed or let Jess down, like which is regular, but if it's really bad, like I know that I need to go and say something to Jess, but I need to run it through my head first so I don't make it worse. In my head, that's what I'm doing. So I'm really careful about my wording, and that's what he's done here. He's really careful, and yet he doesn't even get to finish his statement. He gets as far as saying, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And the father interrupts and says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, bring out the fattened calf and let's kill it. And let's have a celebration for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Dead, culturally, he was dead. Remember the Pharisees, they would have seen him as dead. And the father saying he was dead, he is alive. And at the end of all three of these stories, the coin, the, shepherd, the, the sheep and the son, there's this joyful celebration. In verse 7 it says, I tell you, this is about the sheep, in the same way there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, there's that word again, over 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. He's having a dig at the Pharisees here because they're expecting him to give them a pat on the back, well done, you're so well behaved. And he's saying, actually, this person that you are saying has no value, has as much value. You don't get a pat on the back. In the same way, this is about the coin. He says, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. In the same way that somebody's celebrating the valuable coin that's been found or this, this valuable sheep that's been found and there's this rejoicing and there's this, come on guys, let's have a party. I'm so glad about this. That is what God says happens when one of us comes home to him. Not a punishment, but a celebration. So repentance, right? Heavy word? It is. 
Like, we, we talk about, maybe, or you, you've heard about fire and brimstone peach, preachers that would stand and shout, repent, and all this kind of stuff. Like, repentance, what it means is turn around. In, in this context, it means turn for home. That repentance for the son was realizing how distant a country he was in and what desperate a situation he was in. And he knew what he could do about it, turn and go home. That's what repentance is. It is turning to Jesus. Turning away from the choices. Turn, like the sheep has gone off to find its own green grass, but it's, it's carried home. It's turned around. It's taken back to the fold. Or the son who squandered everything and found himself in a desperate situation. He's turning for home. Repentance is not about restriction. It's about returning. And heaven rejoices when lost things are found. So maybe people here today, there might be some of you who are considering walking away from church. And I mean that right now, right in this room. Maybe some of you are considering walking away from Christianity right at this moment. Maybe you already have. Maybe you've already wandered off. And maybe you are trying to sort it out. Maybe you're having some success at this moment in time. Or maybe you've been disappointed. Maybe you've been disillusioned by church. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've been let down. Maybe you think it's not even relevant to you. Maybe you're looking to put distance between you. Looking for something different. Something better. How often we try to sort out our own mess when we realize we're in one. If you can recognize where you are, this is for everyone this morning, if you can recognize where you are and turn for home, you will find the Father's attention, his action, and his affection towards you. And whether you find that you've been carried home or that you've made the long trip home, all heaven rejoices when we are home. Very quickly, not everyone's happy about this. Jesus has one final point to make in this story. And he says this, the older brother became angry and refused to go in into this celebration with this big stake that they were going to have. And so his father went and pleaded with him and he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat that I could have with my friends. He's having a whinge party right here, right now. This is the son who stayed in the father's house and he's having a moan. Jesus' final stinging point is to those who never left. He's making this point for the Pharisees. Those who think that they are exemplary children, religious, zealful and scornful of people that don't measure up, scornful of those who are wasteful or they consider to be wasteful, these are the ones who are really lost and yet they're oblivious to it. Perhaps you've encountered these older brothers in church at some point. It seemed to be very judgmental. 
You, you don't seem to be able to be comfortable around them. I want you to spare a thought of compassion for them, even them. Because are we not like that sometimes? Do we not find things to judge other people over? We'll all have something that will just tip us over the edge where we think, that person, no. And we throw judgments about. Perhaps you are one of these big brothers and I want you to know that the father values every bit as highly and is ready at those banqueting doors to open the door to you as well. That there is nobody who is cut off and lost in this story. And he's making that even to these Pharisees and teachers that were being so cruel and so uncaring. Nobody is to be lost. I'm going to wrap this up now. When we try to define our own value, we either grossly overestimate. It's like saying I'm too good for this family. Or we grossly underestimate. I'm too bad for this family. The older brother thought he was too good. The younger brother thought he was too bad. Let me tell you, their value was the same to the father. Exactly the same. If you think you are too unclean, or too dirty, or too wrong, or too moody, or whatever it is to be part of a church, or to be part of God's family, that's not true. You have value. You are not too dirty, because the minute you turn for home, what did the father do? He puts a new clothing, a new robe upon his son. All of the stuff he had picked up on the road, all the muck and the dirt that he had picked up was covered with something fresh and new. It's God who truly defines your value. It's God who truly defines your value. He's the one that would leave 99 sheep in search of one. He's the one who would turn the house upside down for one coin that nobody else would put any value upon. And he's the one who'll be straining and waiting in eager expectation for his children to come home. And though we might be like one of those sons, undeserving, insulting, dishonoring, we still have the greatest value. God values you so highly that no matter what crevice of the sofa you fell through, no matter what field you wandered into, no, one, uh, no matter what pig trough you might have had your face in, there is grace for you, he is searching for you, he is calling out your name, and when you turn for home, he will run to meet you. God is for you, not against you. Hear that loud and clear, and you might take this away and not give it a second thought today. I want you to know there is a God. He values you so highly that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come and rescue us from the field that we found ourselves in, from the distant country that we ran to. And yet Jesus comes to bring us back to the Father. And when he does, whatever harsh judgment you expect is replaced with an embrace. Whatever sanctions you fear are replaced with riches. And whatever servitude you offer 
I'm so dirty, God, I've just got to be your slave. Whatever servitude you offer, he offers you belonging, sonship, a place in the family. That's what God does. He waits for us. He searches for us. He scans the horizon. Can we stand together? These kids that we've uh, dedicated today and your kids and you kids are of central importance because you have such high value to God. I want you to know that this morning. He restores in us what is lost. Hope, value, identity and security those things which have been lost. Heavenly Father, we just thank you.